You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK News Radio, 103.1 FM, 910, 980, 1300 AM, or anywhere on that Odyssey app. It is 510 here at the station, 65 degrees and sunny outside. You can also get us anywhere you get your favorite podcast. Just search the Rob O'Donnell Show or anywhere in the nation on that Odyssey app. The Rob O'Donnell Show is brought to you by Road Scholar Transport. You have unique shipping needs, and Road Scholar has unique shipping solutions. Dry van, temperature-controlled, and high security are just a few. Visit roadscholar.com. Well, we have this incident in uh, North Korea where an Army enlisted person uh, ran into North Korea. I'm going to bring in... uh, Someone who knows a lot more in this situation. It's uh, James Laporter, national security reporter for The Messenger. Uh, James, tell us about this incident, how it started, and where we stand now. Sure. Um, thanks for having me on. So uh, about two months ago, a uh, private, uh, Travis King, who is a U.S. Army private, um, he is um, uh, he served as a cavalry scout and joined in 2020, he joined the army in 2021, was stationed in South Korea. Uh, after probably about a year uh, in 2020, uh, between 2022 going into 2023, um, he um, got into pretty much uh, several disciplinary um, issues where um, he was accused of um, assaulting several South Korean nationals. He also uh, damaged a uh, South Korean police vehicle. Uh, he would also go AWOL from, you know, accountability formations, things like that. So he was kind of a, uh, a, you know, a soldier who was particularly problematic during his time in South Korea. So he, um, uh, at some point, he serves in a, in a South Korean prison for uh, damaging their police vehicle. And but just before he went into that prison, he had purchased tickets to tour the demilitarized zone between North and South Korea. And so he gets out of prison. And uh, at this point, according to Army documents that I obtained a couple months ago, he was deemed uh, an embarrassment to the United States. And he was essentially getting kicked out of South Korea. He was scheduled to go on a one way ticket back to the United States. He was supposed to arrive in Fort Bliss, uh, where he would have, you know, undergone additional administrative action. Um, instead of getting on the plane like he was supposed to, he got on the tour that he had booked prior to being in a South Korean prison. He got on the tour, and when the tour got to the demilitarized zone, he um, moved away from the tour group and ran across the D demarcation line into North Korea. And since that time, he's been in North Korean custody. Uh, But as of today, we have learned that he's back in U.S. custody. So that's pretty much kind of the nutshell of what we're talking about here. Yeah. And and if you look at the media, there were pictures of him on this tour. There were people interviewed on that tour that says, you know, he was acting strangely and and that he did, in fact, run across on his own free will. But there's a lot of questions involved with that. I mean, how does someone just run across the demilitary zone into North Korea? Um, and, and I know those are questions that the, the intelligence community has asked, the Army has asked, and I know you have asked. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things where, like, 
it's almost so there's not a so if you if anyone's seen pictures of the um the demilitarized zone between north and south korea there's not like a wall there or anything there there are guards there's south korean and you know u.s force guards and then on the north korean side they have military members but it's not like there's a wall and you know kind of the reason there's not a wall is kind of the same reasons you don't you know jump off a cruise line in the middle of the ocean you just kind of know that you just don't do it you know there's not really there you know people just don't run into north korea you know and so yeah. the thinking is well we don't really need a wall because it's kind of the understanding that you just don't do that but for whatever reason he did run into uh the hands of north korea um you know one of the questions you know in these documents that i have which is there's actually two lingering questions that i've always kind of wondered about with this whole thing which still haven't been answered one is one is is that deals with how he booked the tour so um he was on an international hold for his disciplinary actions and you know by the time he was getting kicked out right uh he was deemed an embarrassment to the united states and he was on a one-way ticket out of south korea uh he booked the tour through a private company and before he got on that tour and also let me back up he used his military id card to book the tour and before he got on the tour that that private company you know, uh, verified who he was, and that private tour submitted a manifest to United Nations Command. For whatever reason, that manifest wasn't flagged as, you know, his name on that manifest, United Nations Command, wasn't flagged for whatever reason. So even though he uses government ID card to book the tour, and that man, and his name was on that manifest to United Nations Command, that wasn't flagged. So he was able to get on the tour, you know, with nobody stopping him, essentially. So that's always been kind of a lingering question of why was that manifest not flagged? Because that could have stopped the whole thing right there, you know, if if his name on that manifest would have been, you know, would have been flagged. The other question, though, is in the Army documents that I have, when he crossed over into North Korea, uh, the documents I have uh, suggest that U.S. Army counterintelligence agents were looking into the idea of, of – you know, did Private King cross into North Korea on his own, or did North Korea have prior notice, or did North Korea help in any way? And that's still a question that we don't know today. And the reason that's kind of based on – the reason for that question was when, when Private King crossed into North Korea, he runs through several different buildings heading north into Korea – at some point, he jumps into a white van. Um, so he jumps into the back of a white van, and North Korean soldiers kind of drive him out of the area to where the you know where the demarcation line is. So there's a question of well, was that van there you know by coincidence, or was that van there you know staged in terms of like pre-planning? So that's kind of a question we still don't know today. Yeah, we're speaking to James Laporta, national security reporter for The Messenger, and I, I followed your work for many years, James. I know you're very persistent in your, your information requests to the military, and I know you're going to keep up on this. Now, is it, in your experience, and in, in you're looking into this, is it not just a red flag that active duty military looks to get on one of these tours at, to begin with? Uh, not necessarily. Um, you know, uh, there's a whole historical society in North Korea that tries to 
teach not only military members, but, you know, uh, Americans visiting South Korea about, you know, the Korean War that happened 70 years ago, about how the, de- um, you know, the demarcation of the demilitarized zone works between North and South, South Korea. And tours are pretty common. So it's not necessarily a red flag that a, a military member would have gotten onto one of those tours. Those tours are, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, uh, they're done for, you know, for teaching purposes. You know, they're, um, U.S. Forces Korea has a whole sort of program uh, that teaches military members, you know, about the Korean War itself and how things work today, you know, between in, in terms of relations between the United States and North Korea. So that in and of itself is not necessarily a red flag. Now, being a junior enlisted uh, soldier for the Army, they're not there very long for, for just about a year. I mean, from what I'm gathering, maybe, maybe a little over a year. Uh, a lot of that time in trouble himself. He would have some, at least some knowledge on the inner workings on the U.S. military operation on the south side of that border. You know, I'm sure that was... Uh, was an asset for North Korea to debrief him and get any information they can on that. Do we have any information on what kind of access he had while he was active duty uh, in, in South Korea? Yeah. So given his rank position, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of unknown whether or not he had say access to classified material uh, and all, I mean, the chances of that, it, it's not, it's not impossible. It's not, it's not impossible, but, it's just kind of unlikely given his rank and uh, his position in the army at that time. But it is possible that he might've had access to classified material, but again, kind of that's on kind of a lower level that he probably didn't have any access, but you're correct on the, on the military side of the house, he would have at least limited knowledge of kind of, um, you know, how his unit is task organized, um, kind of the weapon systems that his unit uses, you know, kind of standard... Just basic observations that he saw himself. Correct, yeah. You know, he could talk to the North Koreans about the type of equipment that U.S. uh, Army soldiers use, things like that nature, you know, very kind of military niche questions, you know, on on sort of intelligence and the classified side of the house, he probably didn't have much access into those, you know, he probably didn't have much purview into those issues, but on the military side of the house, he at least had a very, you know, limited knowledge. He could at least provide things like that. Do we know if he had a security clearance at all? Uh, we don't. I, I, I don't. I'm not aware of that. Um, it's not uncommon for, you know, younger service members to have security clearances and to never be around classified material mm-hmm. like that. So it is. Uh, it is very standard for, for service members, even people who are not in the intelligence community. You know, regular infantry or combined arms. You know, service members. It's very common for them to at least have a secret clearance, and they may never uh, be around classified material or even have access to where classified material would be kept. Uh, so, so we actually don't know if he has a clearance or not, but it is possible that he could have had a clearance. Now, b- based on you following this story from the start, does it look like at this point be that he's been returned by North Korea? They kind of got everything they could. They think they could get out of him, and rather than continue the international incident, you know, returned him to to our custody. I guess. I mean that that that's kind of uh, an outstanding question right now. Is is why North Korea would return him? You know, um, a couple of people I've talked to today suggest you know maybe they realize that. 
given his, you know, you know, he's a private in the army who, you know, was a cavalry scout, you know, in terms of him being an intelligence asset, there really isn't much to gain from him. Uh, but, you know, they still have to feed him and they still have to care for him. And perhaps the North Koreans uh, decided that he, he just w wasn't worth the trouble. And we, um, have, we have no word yet as on how he was treated by the North Koreans, do we? We don't. And that would actually be part of him coming home. So for the Defense Department right now, it's about looking after his mental and physical well-being, checking that out, at uh, reintegrating him into uh, U.S. society. At some point, he's going to be reunited with his family. But in that process, he's also be, going to be going through a debrief uh, where he'll be asked questions about, you know, what kind of questions did the North Koreans ask you? How are you treated? You know, uh, to try to gain information from Private King on what kind of questions did the North Koreans have while you were in their care. So that's going to be a process that he's going to undergo here over the next couple of weeks. And it's going to be telling how cooperative he is with us uh, with that with that questioning and that, that debrief. Correct. And in terms of like next steps, you know, um, so for the, uh, so he was never classified as a deserter. So the Defense Department kept him in an AWOL status or an absent without leave status. Uh, so he was never actually classified as a deserter. Usually, typically in a, in a normal scenario where a service member leaves their unit, after 30 days, they are considered a deserter. Uh, in this case, uh, the military did not classify him as a deserter, but um, AWOL and desertion are two separate charges under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, which is those are the set of laws and regulations that govern the U.S. military. And so even though he was never classified as a deserter, it is possible that at some point he could be charged with desertion. All right, James, if anyone, if my listeners want to follow you further on covering the story as it moves forward, how can they do that? Um, I'm on every social media platform um, on, on X, which is formerly Twitter. I'm, on, I'm at Jim Laporta. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, things like that. All right, again, we're talking to James Laporta, national security reporter for The Messenger. James, I, I appreciate you joining us today to give us the updated information. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, James. Have a great day. It's uh, 524 here at WILK. Time for traffic. And weather. thank you, Rob. This traffic update is brought to you by Pentella Data Internet. It is still slow go on 81 northbound from Wilkes-Barre to pretty much Avoca. Don't expect to go under or over 30 miles per hour. They have cleared up the accident from what I've been told, but it is still moving quite slow. 81 northbound between the Wilkes-Barre area and the Avoca area. 81 southbound, that'll dip below 40 miles an hour between Scranton and Avoca as well. We have reports of the crash on 80 East near Whitehaven. That might hold you up just a bit. And it is slow go as you head out onto Route 6 East, the Casey Highway at Dunmore. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, W-I-L-K traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron tonight. Partly cloudy and cool, low 48. Thursday, mostly sunny, high 68. Friday, scattered showers possible, high 65. Saturday, morning clouds clearing in the afternoon, high 75. 
Sunday, mostly sunny, high 78. It's currently 65 degrees and sunny at 525 at your official weather station, WILK. Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. Well, we're going to talk about the other side of the coin now, how the House Oversight Committee has now got subpoenaed bank records for Hunter Biden, where he received um, direct money wires to him listing Joe Biden's Delaware home. Now, I know the um, a lot of people are saying, well, what does that have? I'm, I'm just looking for a link here. Um, what does that have to do with Joe Biden? Well, there's a lot to do with Joe Biden. First of all, it's at, at Joe Biden's home. These these uh, wires came from. You have one on July 26, 2019, for ten thousand dollars, and you have a separate one on August second for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from uh, Jonathan Lee. Now the uh, let me see what this guy's title is. White House Spokesman for Oversight and Investigation, Special Assistant to the President, and Senior Advisor to the White House Counsel Office. Posted today on social media, imagine them arguing that if someone stayed at their parents' house during the pandemic, listed it as their permanent address for work, and got a paycheck, the parents somehow also worked for that employer. It's bananas, yet this is what the extreme House Republicans have sunken to. Well, first of all, both of these checks, $10,000 and $250,000, were pre-pandemic. The pandemic didn't shut anything down in America till about March, April. The, the, first, the first inkling of, of COVID in the United States was about February, maybe late January of 2020. These money wire transfers are mid-2019. Hunter Biden at the time lived in Los Angeles, did not live with his father. Yes, after that, when his drug addiction hit a wall, he did move in with his father. That was the intervention location, as they put it. But for the White House, and again, what's this guy's? White House spokesman for oversight and investigations, special assistant to the president, and senior advisor to White House counsel office. For him to utterly lie to the American people, make it seem like that he, he lived with his parents and got a check at his parents' house that has nothing to do with his parents, especially his father, who was running for president at the time. So you have a person with that title lying to America via social media. You have these wire transfers. Yes, they were to Hunter Biden, but to Joe Biden's residence address. Again, at a time when Hunter Biden lived in Los Angeles. Now, I'm sure he stayed at his parents' house every now and then, but it was not his legal residence at that time. Now, here runs the problem. These money transfers, these wires from Jonathan Lee to Hunter Biden at Joe Biden's home as the beneficiary address. Joe Biden, then former vice president, former senator, currently running for president, the Democrat nominee for president, wrote a recommendation letter for Jonathan Lee's daughter to Georgetown University. Is that just a coincidence? Is that a shred of evidence for some of you 
the fact that this kind of money goes there. At minimum, at minimum, this proves that Joe Biden lied to the American people, lied to you and I when he said his, first of all, he said his son never received a dime from China. This is the first instance where money went directly to Hunter Biden. Again, at Joe Biden's address, but it went to Hunter Biden. All the other money that they found, the millions of dollars, went to the LLCs and shell companies that were all set up and partners with Hunter Biden that Hunter Biden was involved with. This is direct wire transfers to Hunter Biden. Now, they're spinning it and saying it was a loan. He was a member of the corporation. He was taking a loan out. Again, remember, never declared any of this, never paid taxes on any of it. It was a loan. Now it's not a loan. Joe Biden knows nothing about anything. My son never collected a dime from China. Well, here's direct payments from China, Jonathan Lee, to Hunter Biden at Joe Biden's address. Joe Biden just happens to write a letter of recommendation for Jonathan Lee's daughter to attend Georgetown University. But Hunter, but Joe Biden knows nothing. Hey, Hunter, who's this guy I'm writing a letter for his daughter? Is Joe Biden writing a letter of recommendation for someone he doesn't even know, which is problematic as well? These are the things that are going on there. So th here you have both ends of the spectrum. And if you're going to sit there and say there's not a shred of evidence of at least Joe Biden lying to the American public. Come on now. And the fact that he writes a letter of recommendation for Georgetown University for the guy who sent $260,000 within two weeks, within a week of each other, 10 days of each other, in 2019, before the pandemic, while his White House counsel and advisor to the president tries to make it a pandemic issue that Hunter was living with his parents and imagine if someone got a paycheck at their parents' house because they were living with them during the pandemic. This is months before the pandemic even started. Their stories aren't matching up. Are we going to start asking tough questions? Should we start asking tough questions? You're damn right we should. It's 534 here at WILK. It's time for the news with Paul Michaels. You're with the Rob O'Donnell Show here on WILK News Radio. It's good to see the grammar police are out there in text force. It is uh, 539 here at WILK, 65 degrees and sunny. Well, we have the second GOP debate, 24, 2024 tonight, presidential debate at the Reagan Library out in California. Looks like we're going to have Ron DeSantis, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Mike Pence, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, who's the guy who I always keep forgetting his name, Doug Bergman, governor from North Dakota. So that's the lineup for tonight. It starts at 9 p.m. It's going to be hosted by Fox Business and Univision. So we'll see what goes on with that. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson did not make the cut. And I, I'm interested to look in to see how Governor Doug Bergman made the cut. Um, he is a self-made millionaire, could be billionaire. I, it depends how you classify him. We don't want to overstate his value. might get charged. But uh, in order for him to get in the first debate, he basically bought his way in. He reached out to college students, and he said, because you need so many independent donors to be able to make the stage, the first stage. I don't know if that's the same criteria for this debate. 
But he reached out to college students and he said, for every person you get to donate a dollar to my campaign, one dollar, I will give you twenty dollars and they could pay it forward. So if you get five friends to donate a dollar, you're getting a hundred bucks. If they get friends, they get the money and then they get the money and and on and on and on. And that's how he got the whatever amount tens of thousands of independent uh, donors to his campaign to allow him to get to that debate stage. I don't like being able to do that. I mean, if you look at it, if that's within the rules, which it is, it was a smart move on his part. He used his campaign money to do that, to pay people to make independent donations to him at the dollar. So it cost him $20 for every dollar donation he got. And he bought his way onto the debate stage. I'm not a fan of that. But if it's the rules, it is. Maybe we should look in changing something like that because, you know, obviously he found a loophole. And if you have money, you can circumvent the system and manipulate it to benefit you. Now, who was that? The governor from uh, North Dakota, Governor Doug Burgum. He did it for the first debate. I'm not sure if he did it for this one. But, uh, you know, I that's read into it. interesting. But, again, who is that? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's why I keep forgetting his name. His picture's here in front of yeah. me. And I'm like, uh, you know, Governor, he, he's, a, he's a millionaire, a billionaire. Again, I don't want to over, overvalue his name because I might get charged by Letitia James in New York if I say he's worth more than he is. Yeah. yeah. But. Um, I was going to say that that sounds like something Christie would have tried to pull. I don't know. Christie doesn't have the money to do that, though. Well, this this, this guy, like I said, is funding his own. This guy gave $10 million to his own campaign. He took that money, paid college kids $20 for every dollar they donated to get the whatever independent donors. That doesn't even donors. sound like it should be legal. It, yeah. Wow. Yep. But it cost, him, wow. it cost him 20 bucks for every dollar donation he got. But wow. he got him on the—and if you look at it, okay, he donated $10 million to his own campaign. What bigger promotion do you have than be on the, the stage of the debate? So he used that money, $20 for every dollar they voted, they, they donated, to— Get himself that PR. It's better than any commercial he could have got, any media stunts, every TV show, any rally he could have had. So you can say it was money well spent because it got spent because it got him the notoriety of being on stage at the debate. Okay, you can say that. But like I said, I'm not a fan of it, and maybe they should look at the changing that rule because I would think he's found like a workaround. You work can't around. pay people to donate to your own campaign. Oh, it's politics, money, and power. Money and power. Mm. That being said, it's 543 Do here. It's time for traffic and weather. Oh, I have to, don't I? This Pentella Data Internet Traffic Update is brought to you by Renegade Roofing. We nail it. 81 northbound is still going slow through the Pittston area to about Music. You can expect to dip below 40 miles per hour. Coming southbound at Music, you're dipping at 40 miles per hour till you hit the Pittston area as well. And we have a report of an accident on 80 eastbound in the Whitehaven area. Whenever you see a traffic problem, call our jam line, 570-883-7269. Nikki Stone, W-I-L-K Traffic. Thank you, Nikki. Here's the Storm Tracker 16 forecast from Chief Meteorologist Kurt Aaron. Tonight, partly cloudy and cool, low 48. Thursday, mostly sunny, high 68. Friday, scattered showers possible. High 65. Saturday, morning clouds clearing in the afternoon. High 75. Sunday, mostly sunny. High 78. It's currently 64 degrees and sunny here at 545 at your official weather station, WILK. 
Welcome back to the Rob O'Donnell Show on WILK News Radio. It is 549 almost here at the station. 64 degrees and sunny. That temperature is going down. It's supposed to be cool tonight. A few things to tidy up before we close out the show. Uh, we mentioned it yesterday that the Turnpike plans on adding uh, electric vehicle chargers to more service plazas on the Turnpike. These are going to be uh, high-speed chargers, which take about 30 minutes. They're superchargers, meaning a full charge should take no more than 30 minutes. The Turnpike has um, 48 superchargers at six service platters, plazas, eight northbound and eight southbound at Hickory Run in Carbon County, eight in at the Peter J. Camiel in Elverson, Chester County, eight in Brownsmansville, eastbound in Lancaster County, and eight in North Somerset westbound and 8 south somerset eastbound in somerset county other plazas have slower chargers which can take four to five hours to charge your car completely if you have an ev they are at new station i'm not going to give the they're all over the place none of them really in the northeast though at the as of the end of 2022 only 42,785 electric vehicles were registered in pennsylvania or about 0.4% of all registrations. Only 290 were registered registered in Lackawanna County, and only 380 in Luzerne County. Five of nine electric vehicles are registered in Philadelphia, and its eight closest neighboring counties. The reason most chargers are there, so that explains why the chargers are not up here and down where the more cars are. And electric vehicles, if there's chargers there, makes sense in a city like Philadelphia. If I lived and worked closer to a city, yeah, I would I would think about it. Like I said, I have friends who work in D.C. who live in Annapolis and, you know, have a Tesla and love it. They have right down the block from them, there's a charging station. They also have uh, the medium charger at their house where they can charge it, but they'd rather go to the supercharger and charge it in that half an hour. And it looks like that... This will be done by a private company. As of its last, uh, at its meeting last week, the Turnpike Commission approved a contract with Apple Green Electric to install and operate and maintain the electric vehicle charging ports. The project won't cost the Turnpike anything, but the Turnpike will earn a percentage of gross electric sales, Turnpike Chief Financial Officer Richard Darrer said. Well, that's a good thing. It doesn't cost us any money, but everybody makes money off us. And you got to think about it. A private company does not come in and install something at the cost to install these charges, run these charges, and maintain these charges if they're not making money. And the, the Turnpike Commission obviously isn't going to let them do it if they're making money. But gas stations are the same way, I would assume, but the government doesn't get kickbacks from the gas stations. We'll see. It looks like we're also, there's been really no main ground gained in this possible shutdown that's going to take place October 1st. Congress has three days to cut a deal and prevent a government shutdown. As of Wednesday morning, lawmakers have made little progress towards averting the crisis. Now, there was some talk that the Senate was going to approve a bill and send it over. They did have bipartisan support for that bill, but from what some representatives in the House are saying, it's dead on arrival. And the bills that are being looked at in the House really don't stand a chance in the Senate. 
so it's going to be interesting what gives here. A lot of the main sticking points are funding for the war in Ukraine. I'm just looking through recent updates. You know, they're, they're talking about, obviously, our active duty military. They would get retroactive pay, but they wouldn't be paid for a while. And, and this is something that affects all of us. You know, I've, I've talked to my kids today, and obviously the one in the academy, it's not going to affect her much. But my son just bought a house. His first mortgage payment is coming up. And now they're talking about, you know, not getting pay. You know, he's got a cushion to where he can deal with it for a little bit. We don't see this being very long. But here's here's the thing. Since Joe Biden's been a senator, and, and I know he's been big on the saying they're going to not pay our military, they're not going to do this, this is ridiculous. And, and it's his job as president, regardless of who the president is, you know, they're going to say similar things. As long as he's been in Congress, been a senator, there's been about 200 continuing resolutions. In, in my lifetime and probably a lot of your lifetimes, we've had one balanced budget. Everything's been continuing resolutions. We'd have 50. We've had 50 continuing resolutions since 2010. If they pass one now to avert this shutdown, this would be the fourth for this year. You know how you avoid continuing resolutions? You approve a budget. You balance a budget and you approve it and give appropriations for the departments the way it should be done, the way Congress should be doing their job. It's their mainstay to fund the government which they haven't done. There's been 200 resolutions, continuing resolutions, for the budget since 1973, I think it was. And that's when Joe Biden entered Congress. 1973, he entered the Senate. Our congressmen, our House members, our senators, the members of Congress as a whole are not doing their job. Just this year alone. This will be the fourth continuing resolution. We've had 50 since 2010. We've had 200 since the mid-70s. And during that time, from 73 to now, we've balanced the budget once. There's been approved budget once. And that's under a bipartisan agreement with Bill Clinton as the president and Newt Gringerge as the Speaker of the House. So it is possible. We just don't have the right people in place to do it, to make those agreements. We need to find those people quick, or you or I are in trouble. It's 5.55 here at WILK. We'll be back to close out the Rob O'Donnell Show in a minute. Well, if you like the music selection today, you can thank Jake in the control room, spinning the dials on the twos and tens. It's uh, 5.58 here at the station. Good talk today. Uh, Somebody said it must be fun to spend other people's money, trillions and trillions. Put it on the cards. Somebody also said, with batteries in gas cars, fast in gas cars, fast chargers reduce battery life, and slow charging increases battery battery life. Is there anyone out there that has an expertise in electric vehicles? Does that have the same? I would imagine batteries are batteries, right? Does a rapid charger for your electric vehicle shorten the life of your battery, and a slow charger better for your car? Something we'd have to look into. You know, the, we got to make sure we're on the green uh, green initiative. Somebody says, I'll bet most of the electric cars are owned by government employees. 
you know, the, the, the greatest increase in jobs with these great job numbers are government jobs. So uh, not the private industry. They create their own headlines. It's as simple as that. Well, great discussion today, and we're going to do it again tomorrow. At least we're finally at Wednesday. I thought yesterday was Wednesday, but here we are on Wednesday, September 27th. We'll do it again tomorrow. God bless. Be safe, and we'll see you then.